couple Sundays ago, I mentioned a quotation by Chesterton that fairy tales paint a picture of golden apples so we can remember that moment when we discovered that they were green. How do we see wonders in the ordinary, in ordinary moments? Where's the wonder in the ordinary, in the everyday? How do we see it? Well, one answer is that we need to choose to see it. From the Word of God, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Hear God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives we may live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ordinary wonders. I remember um, being in uh, a class, well, it was a foreign study class. Uh, we went to England, and we were acting all British, so every morning we had tea. And, uh, and every morning, our professor would clean up after the tea, would wash up. And I offered to do the dishes one morning, and he said, no, it's fine. I enjoy it. It's soothing to me. It's soothing to me. That made a big impression on me because I had the feeling that he wasn't just sort of enjoying the water, that he wasn't just being kind, or that he didn't just sort of have this life skill of figuring out how to deal with chores, but that he was kind of savoring the moment. He was drinking it in. He was enjoying doing the dishes. Uh, Tish Harrison Warren has a book called uh, The Liturgy of the Ordinary, and in it she talks about this sign over the kitchen that she saw one time, and it says this, everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes, right? How do we find, 
how do we find the wonder in the ordinary? How do we do it? Let's ask the question, how? And let's answer by choosing. Choosing. We need to choose light, choose order, and choose rhythm. Light, order, and rhythm. Let's take a look. First, we need to choose light. Choose light. That means we need to come out of the shadows and choose light. It means that a lot of times, even if we have received him, even if we have called on his name, we often dwell in the shadows. We hide. And hiding affects the way we see ourselves, the people around us in the world. We need to choose light. I was listening to a podcast some, some weeks ago, and, uh, and the host said, he was talking about lying. And he said he didn't think he, was, he lied much. He wasn't very deceitful. And he decided to take a closer account of his day. And he kept a log. And he, he decided that anytime he fudged on the truth at all, in any way whatsoever, that he would uh, write a little check mark on a piece of paper. And at the end of the day, he had dozens of check marks. And what he realized is that although he didn't just outright lie, that a lot of times he cast himself in the best possible light of the story, that he ignored certain parts of, of a story, or that he embellished things, or that he diminished certain uh, parts of what he was trying to convey to somebody else. And he realized that he was much more shadowy than he had realized at the morning. And so he began to see the need for him to recklessly choose to dwell in the light. You know, you've, you've had this experience where you say something and somebody decides to cast it in the worst possible light, right? They, you, you, you say something and, and you mean it in good humor uh, or you say you, you, you characterize something in a certain way that you think is, is fair and someone decides to make it something else. You've had that experience. And you realize that that they're not seeing things the way you said it. They're not seeing it the way it is. They're seeing it the way they are. It's a little like uh, the story of this guy who comes home from work. <clears throat> now, imagine just two different scenarios here. One guy comes home from work, and, uh, and he is grum grum grumbling about the state of the house. He says, oh, the house is such a mess, you know. And uh, in the first scenario, his wife says, what a sexist pig. I mean, I can't believe this guy. What? I can't even believe I'm married to this guy. I mean, what, does he expect me to have everything perfect all the time? It's ridiculous. What a terrible attitude he has. In scenario two, uh, I'm just here to cheer you up this morning. Isn't that nice? In uh, scenario two, is a little, little happier, you know. So scenario two, the same, same sort of thing happens. He comes home and he says, oh, this house is such a mess. I can't believe this. What is the deal? This entryway tripping over shoes and his wife says i wonder what's going on with him oh, he is so grouchy i wonder what's going on at work i'm going to give him time to sort of decompress take a deep breath and maybe i'll find out what happened during his day for him to be so unfair to me in the way he greeted me this this afternoon you see sometimes we see things the way they are and sometimes we see things the way we are 
Jesus is saying that he came to his own, but his own didn't recognize him. They didn't receive him. The world didn't know him. He came bearing light, and yet they could not see who he was. And later on in, in John, uh, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus just says something so eerie and so moving. He says, do you not know me, Philip, after I've been with you all this time? And sometimes we don't see because we're dwelling in the shadows. We're hiding behind our fig leaf of self-concern. We're hiding behind a fig leaf in the shadows of shame. We're hiding our shame. And so it's hard to see things the way they really are when we're in the shadows. And to see things the way they really are, what, what, what this first chapter of John is saying is when light shines on the ordinary, when we see things as they really are, they become filled with light. And there is some extraordinary quality to the givenness of things. Marilyn Robinson has a book called The Givenness of Things, where she turns our eyes. It's a, it's a, a book of essays where she's turning our eyes again and again to the ordinary moments, to drink them in, to see the green apple in all its wonder. How might you see your day and the people around you differently if you recklessly, radically chose to dwell in the light, to tell the full truth, to peel back the layers of denial that you're hiding behind. How might you see wonder in the ordinary if you choose light? So we need to choose light. Choose light. The second, we need to choose order. When Jesus came, this, this whole passage, you can see echoing in this passage the original order of creation. In the beginning was the word. God is speaking order again and again. He's speaking order. And we need to choose order and stop simply cursing the darkness. We need to choose order. Verse 5, it says this. Darkness, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, right? It's kind of an interesting, obvious thing to say about light and darkness, right? Isn't it amazing when, uh, like, you get up in the middle of the night, and just how bright that little teeny light is, you know, on, on that, your toothbrush or on your, uh, on your, uh, on your, your TV or wh whatever it is that you're, you're walking past, some little teeny bit of light, or just... From your phone, you can make your way through your house. Of course, darkness hasn't overcome the light. What's he saying? Darkness hasn't overcome the light. Well, what he's saying is something really hopeful. As we curse the darkness, I think we have to recognize that what's being said here is something really hopeful. Have you ever wondered why things aren't worse? than they are. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why is the world not in more chaos than it is? 
Romans 1.20 says this. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul's referring to people who are living life in rebellion apart from God, and yet there is this thing called the conscience that God, by common grace, sustains order in the world, gracefully sustains order, even among people who don't know him, even among people who are rejecting his truth, there is still light. Have you ever wondered why things aren't worse? So how do we choose order? How do we choose order? Well, we have to stop, first of all, cursing the darkness. It's the difference between, and uh, Stephen Covey talks about the difference between your circle of concern and your circle of influence. You know, we all have a circle of concern, right? And we have concern about all kinds of things. I mean, somebody can just bring something up and suddenly you have an opinion about it, right? Don't you? I mean, of course you do. I mean, I, I read your, your social media, uh, you know, uh, walls and all that. I mean, we all have opinions and we, we buy into them and and. And we have concerns about all kinds of things. But you know, when, when I was younger, I, I, I heard somebody say this. This is a really good check on our concern. Our cursing darkness. Uh, a friend of mine used to say, whenever he heard somebody just complain about something that, over which they had no influence whatsoever, he'd put a check on it and he'd say this. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and you've got a good point. And then he'd ask him, well, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You know, it kind of confronts me, doesn't it? I mean, when I'm upset with darkness, what am I going to do about it? Is there something I can do about it? Am I just going to invite everybody else into my curse? Or is there something over which I do have influence? And can I put my energy there and to be for instead of just against, against, against? In my circle of concern, there are so many things that I can be against. In my circle of influence, what can I be for? How can I bring order? How can I choose to move from, to turn from cursing the darkness to adding light? Shedding light. Bringing the light of hope. To scatter the shadows, to light up the places that are chaotic, and to bring greater order. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Y'all, we have every reason to hope. Through the things that God has made. I mean, he's speaking into creation in John 1. Jesus is coming into creation, affirming creation, that the things that God made, he's not given up on those things. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Have you ever wondered why things are not worse than they are? I love this old Jewish parable of, uh, of, of a rabbi and his understudies, and he's asking them, when do you know it's dawn? 
when do you know the dawn has come, that dawn is breaking? And one of the students answered, well, when you can see uh, your hand in front of your face, you know that it's, that, that it's dawn, that the light is breaking. And another student said, no, no, when you can see sort of, uh, you know, down the path of your house all the way to the curb, you know, that's when you know the dawn is breaking. And they said, well, tell us, tell us the answer. He said, well, you know the dawn is breaking when you can see your enemy approaching and recognize him as your neighbor. I think as a people of light, we have an incredible opportunity to reach out to people across any kind of divide and recognize them as our neighbor. That's something over which we have influence, something we can be for. The people around us who are creating chaos, can we simply reach out and embrace them as neighbors? Rather than cursing the darkness, we need to choose order, coming away from the chaos that everyone is commenting on. And finally, we need to choose rhythm, choose light, choose order, choose rhythm. To come away from the clutter of hurry and noise and crowds. Richard Foster talks about these are three things that keep us from growing in our relationship, from intimacy with God, from dwelling in the presence of God. Hurry and noise and crowds. Hurry and noise and crowds. And how do we get away from the clutter? How do we clear that cl clutter? We, we choose rhythm. We need to choose rhythm. Verse 14 says this. Jesus dwelt among us. Don't pass by that. He dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. What does that mean? Well, we know all kinds of things about Jesus when he was uh, uh, born. We know that whole story. We're celebrating that story this month. And we, we've got a little blip of him when he's 12, right? You got a little blip of him when he's 12 in the temple and he's teaching and all the elders are around him going, wow, this guy's really bright. And then crickets, right? 30 years, 30 years of daily life, 11,000 days Jesus got up and lived an ordinary human life, a daily life making things, blessing people, engaging, building relationships, learning, praying, studying, enjoying the moment, washing the dishes before the revolution that he brought. Jesus dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Message, translates this. He says, he moved into the neighborhood. He just became a neighbor. There's a, a little study about, uh, about being and dwelling in the ordinary, even in silence or solitude. Uh, a guy named Timothy Wilson from UVA wrote this up in the journal Science. And in this study, he, he put people alone in a room for 15 minutes. And he said, uh, and, he, and he hooked them up, he, he said, uh, well, I don't think he hooked him up. He just said, look, if you push, if you touch this little button here, 
it will give you a shock. And that, that, that's all that he did. That he just said, sit in the room alone. You can just sit here for, for 15 minutes. And by the way, there's a button here. If you push it, <laughs> it'll give you a shock. That was his experiment. And most people push the button. In fact, one person pushed the button dozens of times. Is that not disturbing? Rather than sit quietly alone in a room for 15 minutes in solitude, we would rather experience some kind of pain, right? So that we know we're alive because we're bored, because we're uncomfortable, anxious to be, to dwell with ourselves by ourselves. You know, years ago when I was learning about what, what is a what is a quiet time? What's a, what's a morning quiet time? How do I set the course of my day in a rhythm that, that chooses to put first things first? I, I was just sort of getting the hang of this, and somebody introduced me to a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, and then all of a sudden, my little, my cute little paradigm, not, not to put down morning devotions, I'm all in favor of those. But if that's the limit of the practice of the presence of God and the rhythm of your day, then it's time to take another step. Listen to what Brother Lawrence says in this book, Practice of the Presence of God. He says this, The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in His divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with Him, in all seasons, in every moment, without limiting the conversation in any way. I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. And it is not necessary to have great things to do, I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. He worked in a kitchen. And he taught generations about how to pray. Verse 14, he dwelt among us full of grace and truth. Incredibly difficult to do. You know, it's so easy to choose truth and just bring the hammer of judgment down. It's so easy to choose grace and just say, ah, let's give them a pass. But to be full of grace and truth, this is what we're struggling with in every issue on the planet. Jesus dwelt daily full of grace and truth. Let me just close with a picture for you of this idea of rhythm, choosing light. Choosing order, choosing rhythm. It's a picture of two men on a bench. And one, one says, hey, do you hear that cricket? They're in the middle of uh, Central Park, New York City. Hey, do you hear that cricket? And the man says, cricket? I mean, how can you hear a cricket? I mean, there are people pushing baby strollers around. There's a guy with a boom box. I mean, there are people just yakking away all around. How do you hear a cricket? 
He bent down. He picked up the cricket. He said, look, there's a cricket. He said, I can't believe you could hear that cricket. Suddenly, somebody dropped a quarter up the path, and that same man who couldn't hear the cricket went, huh? <laughs> what are your ears tuned to? There is wonder in the ordinary. There is greenness to the apple and the givenness of things. God is speaking through his creation. He's telling us there's hope in the everyday. That's why the hymn writer Charles Wesley said this, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Risen with healing in his wings. Light and life to all he brings. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail, incarnate deity. Let's pray. God of light and life, we give you thanks for dappled things, for ordinary sparkles of light in our day. Would you help us to choose wisely, to step out from our denial and even optimism, to leave the shadows, to tell the truth. Would you help us, Lord, to choose, to see things, to cast things in the best possible light? And would you help us, Lord, in the everyday moments, simply to turn and to remember that you hold all things together, that you sustain us by your word, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. May we so take Jesus with us in every moment. May we receive him in such a way that moment to moment we would become Jesus' name.